The podcast you're listening to is part of Sequelcast 2 and Friends, which is a member of the Batman on Film Podcast Network. For more information, go to batman-on-film.com. I'm sorry, my lady, but it appears the dessert is missing its jogan fruit. plans. With the Jedi Council focused on the war effort, criminal minds are left unchecked to spread fear and corruption. Galactic gangster Jabba the Hutt has sent bounty hunter Cad Bane on a nefarious mission which shall strike at the heart of the Republic. Meanwhile, the unsuspecting citizens of Coruscant go about their daily lives. Hello, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to In Trouble Again, the Star Wars Droids podcast, where we look back and try to re-examine, re-explore, and re-appreciate Droids, the adventures of R2-D2 and C-3PO, the obscure 80s Star Wars animated series. But that's not true on this particular episode. This particular episode, we thought we would take a break between story arcs on droids and look at a different kind of R2-D2 and C-3PO adventure from a different animated series, specifically... The episode from Season 3 of The Clone Wars, Evil Plans, which is a very R2-D2 and C-3PO-focused episode of that particular series. Uh, I am your host, William Thrasher, and with me is my counterpart, Matt bradley Shergy. Hello, yeah, this is Season 3, Episode 8 of Star Wars, The Clone Wars. And um, I think before we, we get in and talk about this episode, which, as you mentioned, is very droid-centric, which is why we're doing this... Uh, I think with the you know with few changes, this could have been a, a script to a Star Wars stories cartoon. As far as uh, I'm concerned, um, we should explain what the Clone Wars is because there's a few things with a few different animated series with the name the Clone Wars, and where that fits into the chronology. Yeah. So um, after after Star Wars Episode Two: Attack of the Clones came out, but before Star Wars Episode Three: Revenge of the Sh- uh, Sith to promote Revenge of the Sith. Uh, Lucasfilm had uh, the legendary animator Gendy Tartakovsky do a series of Star Wars animated shorts to promote the film that would air as interstitials on Cartoon Network. Um, that is not what we're going to talk about. Uh, however, after the new, after the prequel trilogy had wrapped up, and long before uh, the new trilogy began, after uh, Lucasfilm was sold uh, to Disney, there was a CGI animated Star Wars movie released called simply The Clone Wars. We are not talking about that. However, that movie was, for all intents and purposes, a pilot for a 3D and computer animated Star Wars series called Star Wars: The Clone Wars. That is what we are talking about today, specifically an episode from the third season. Yeah, to make things more confusing, The Clone Wars aired on the, in the United States on Cartoon Network for its first five seasons, and then was canceled, and then they, they had enough, because of the way animation works, and The Clone Wars is animated in Singapore, I believe, um, with, with Lucasfilms, uh, they have a, a studio over there that does animation, and they had, you do animation so far in advance, they had enough stuff for kind of like a half season, so they, uh, this is either called season six or the lost episodes that uh, premiered on Netflix, and now, um, as of this uh, recording, I think it's later this year in 2019, they're doing a seventh season, which is another sort of short half season. Yeah, as I understand it, they're going to take, they're going to take some episodes that would have been in season six that they didn't complete, but then they're also kind of trying to bring the series to what its intended conclusion, and that's going to be this new season seven. So this is a show with a very complicated history. It is, and um, listeners, you might want to know how the sausage is made. We recorded this episode a few weeks ago, and then my computer 
when my computer died and I was restoring stuff, even though I made backups. Uh, some backups didn't quite back up all the way, so we're having to re-record this episode. Um, which, I don't think the listeners should know, but I just told the listeners, so there you go. Um, this so as a result of that, though, I have now seen this episode four times. Dear God. Uh, but Clone Wars, um, in this animated series, it is not chronological. You do not start when the Clone Wars begins. It does not end when Revenge of the Sith starts. Yeah, it, it turns out this whole series has a very complicated, I'll dare say convoluted, non-linear timeline. The the airing order and the and the production order and the episode order is not the order that the events take place. There's a whole separate timeline explaining what the chronological order of episodes happens to be. Yeah, um, so I think before we start talking about this episode, uh, Thrasher, when did you first see this Clone Wars series? The first time I saw the series... Um, this would have been this would have been several years ago, I think, during the first or second season of Clone Wars. Um, I went to a family reunion in the Outer Banks, and the short version is I ended up in the emergency room for about five days. And the the uh, I was in the hospital. Well, I was in I went to the emergency room. I was in the hospital for five days, recovering uh, recovering from uh, from a medical condition, uh, which thankfully did not require surgery. Don't worry, I'm fine now. But uh, I had Cartoon Network, uh, and so I spent a lot of time watching cartoons while recovering when I wasn't reading or playing uh, Plants vs. Zombies. And Clone Wars just happened to be on, and that was the first time I ever really just sat down and flat-out watched episodes of Clone Wars from beginning to end. I first uh, rented Season 1 of The Clone Wars, and it was available on DVD and Netflix, I guess they still do the disc by mail, but um, that, that was a main thing at the, at the time. And I, I felt sort of mixed on it. Some of it I felt was dry and kind of slow and boring, but then I, there's one episode in season one I enjoyed where R2-D2 has kind of like a counterpart R2 unit that's evil, that's working for the bad guys, and they basically like bitch slap each other with their various um, doodads on their, on their person. Does one wear a white hat and the other wear a black hat? Uh, yeah, almost. I think the bad <laughs> one might be gold or something. But um, and I enjoyed that, so I felt kind of mixed. Uh, over the years on Netflix, I've kind of caught bits and pieces here and there. The only season I've seen in its entirety is that sixth season, the Lost uh, episodes, um, which, which the way that ends is quite surreal and very good and very weird. Um, but this is not a Clone Wars podcast, so I mean, this one is in season three, episode eight. Um, as the show progressed, not so much in season one, but I think more so in um, season two and especially season three onward, episodes were not standalone. You had sort of, uh, much like the droids cartoon, really, you had them sort of done as mini-movies, like four-episode arcs. Yeah, they tend to have extended story arcs, and one arc will often flow into another. Uh, there will often also be, like, uh, overlaps. Like, it's very, like, characters very rarely died in this series, so incidental characters would often come back later with much bigger parts. And this one, Evil Plans, uh, kicks off a story arc. In, a huge story arc. Involving the, some of the huts, um, some of Jabba's relatives or whatever being kidnapped and so forth. But this one, it, it's, it's lighter in tone, I think, because it followed a pretty heavy story arc. And we're talking about it because it's droid-centric. So why don't you talk about, um, Thrasher, what what kicks off the plot here, because it's something pretty benign. Yeah, well, what, what really kicks things off is, so, uh, Senator Amidala is having a reception for another senator, uh, a senator, uh, Senator Chang, uh, who is, oh, sorry, sorry, Senator Ang, Senator Ang, who is a member of a military appropriation committee, and they never really spell out what's at stake, just that it's really important for her and the war effort to get on his good side. Uh, and so, as part of this reception, the reception has to be perfect, and the crowning piece of the reception is the senator's favorite dessert, uh, Jogan fruitcake. But as it turns out, the Jogan fruitcake requires a garnish, uh, and there is no garnish. So uh, Anakin and uh, Amidala, they send R2-D2 and C-3PO out with some credits to secure some Jogan fruit to use as the cake's garnish. Uh, garnish. However, what nobody knows is that the bounty hunter Cad Bane, who is who is one of my favorite characters uh, that was born out of this series, and who has 
has a name that sounds silly, but I feel like it is the perfect Star Wars villain name. Cad Bane. Two horrible things that sound bad. Uh, and he... Turns out, he wants to kidnap C-3PO, but we don't know why. Right, so the droids are sent to the underbelly of Coruscant to get Jogan fruit on the black market. Well, it's not the black market, just a market. A market, like, right. It's not, it's not illegal, it's not, like, restricted. It's just, apparently, like, it's, it's, it's a fruit that is obscure enough that you can't just go to your regular grocer to get it. But you get some some good comedy here, I think, initially with 3PO and R2. They're arguing with their fruit vendor over the price. Yeah, there's this octopus-headed uh, fruit vendor who... He, he's like Danny DeVito. Danny DeVito should play this part. And he keeps telling he keeps telling these family stories, you know, and... Uh, you know, as R2, please be keep watch on our credits. And he goes, you know, my grandfather said you should watch your health, not your credits. So while I was busy watching my health, somebody took all my credits. And he he keeps telling these kind of jokes like that. Um, but we get to see him and C three PO bargaining, and this is it's something that I really like about uh, in A New Hope is that every now and then C three PO gets to be a fast talker. And he doesn't exactly get to be a fast talker in this scene because he gets completely fleeced uh, by this fruit seller who keeps raising the price as they talk about the Jogan fruit and is charging an exorbitant amount for it. Um, So one thing that I noticed, and strangely enough, I did not notice until this rewatch. The seller insists that the four Jogan fruit that they want to buy are the last four Jogan fruit on the planet. But I don't know if you've looked at his stall it's lousy with Jogan fruit. He's just trying to think of excuses to jimmy up the price. Yeah, but they, why don't they notice it? But beyond, but like, why don't they notice that he's surrounded by Jogan fruit? But also, if you look at other vendors, there are uh, throughout this episode, there are multiple vendors that have stacks of Jogan fruit, and this is where we get into an, an issue of intent. I can't tell whether that's intentional or they were just recycling the same props for all the sellers. If I was to guess, it would be recycling assets, so you have to draw less things, uh, model less things, and do less textures and so forth. But anyway, they do buy the Jogan fruit for a ridiculous amount. The Jogan fruit are put into a transparent Pringles can, uh, and as they're leaving, so um, Cad Bane has this droid, this little droid assistant named uh, named Toto, who is voiced by Seth Green, who... Must have loved being in this. He's a he's a huge geek. He's a huge Star Wars fan. Uh, constantly putting Star Wars references into things he he does. Um, he's got to distract R two D two and C three PO. So he keeps flitting around them, trying to sell them on the idea of this droid spa. And R two D two decides that he'll that he's going to check the droid spa out. And when R two D 2s back is turned, Cad Bane swoops in, grabs C three PO, and they fly off to an undisclosed location. Yeah, and uh, the way the droid spa looks is really neat. It looks like things out of American graffiti with the the neon colors, and you don't realize until this episode, but R2-D2 always looks pretty filthy, and that he gets a nice uh, a nice clean job, and you get to see him all shiny and new. Uh, you know, R2-D2 needs a break. He's the hardest working droid in the galaxy. He never gets any credit. And that he wants to get a spa after going on an idiotic fruit-buying mission for his master, uh, Skywalker. Um, like, I, I could see why R2 really wanted to treat himself as, as people say today. Well, of the two droids, he's the more impulsive and libidinal of the two. Um, and yeah, you're right. Like, it, it, this, the, this droid spa, it is another one of those sort of 1950s things in a long time ago in a galaxy far, far away. And it's staffed by two female droids who would appear to be DTF. Down to format? <laughs> exactly. Uh, we're talking a hard boot, if you know what I mean. But no, it's like, it's, it's, one, of the, it's one of those things that, that always stands out in science fiction is like horny robots. And it always yes, makes you wonder, yeah. why would you design an appliance to be horny? But like everything, everything that these two droids say is a little bit sultry. There's even a scene transition where they cut to R2 and he's just like on lifts like a car. But these two droids are just kind of leaning over him and stroking him saying and like saying something along the lines of isn't that the, isn't that the best way to get clean or isn't that the best way to relax? Right. It's, it's like we just cut in on R2D2 right after a climax. 
Yeah, and that, that they dip them into a big thing of oil, like it looks like a functional machine. I really appreciated that. It reminds me of that moment in Star Wars Episode Four: A New Hope, where C-3PO, you know, has an oil bath and seems to enjoy himself cleaning himself off with the, uh, the rag. Well, so. no, like like everything everything about the droid spa seems functional and probable and still science fictional, except the two sex droids that apparently operate the facility, which just which only raise a series of unsettling questions. It, it really pops out because Star Wars is sort of a sexless series, don't you think? Or as in far as the sort general, of content in general, yeah, it's a very sort of it's very very chaste. Everything it's yeah. very bowdlerized, I guess I should say. Right, you know, no one got the the promised um, Anakin, Padme, Skywalker twin conception scene. Right? Well, that that wasn't promised. Uh, I, okay, but 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 anyway. Um, so while so while R two D two is living the high life, we cut to the the facility where Cad Bane has C three PO, and they're doing this sort of a they're this aggressive mind probe to him. Uh, and they're because they're trying to extract from his brain the floor plans of the Galactic Senate building, um, which you'd think there'd be like a public works record, but then again, maybe they're mm-hmm. looking for stuff that like would be kept classified. So I, I can understand that. Uh, but as it turns out, C three PO doesn't have those plans in his mind because that's never been important to his job because he's he's all about etiquette and protocol, uh, not security or floor plans or navigation. So, but he does unfortunately name drop that R two D2 was always in charge of that sort of thing. So then Cad Bane and his IG-88 looking sidekick have to go back to Kit R2-D2. Right. It's a... I think that's a nice moment. When they torture C-3PO, it's like really disturbing and yet I loved all the computer schematics in the background. Yeah, well, clearly a lot of technical stuff is going on. But yeah, Mm. C-3PO is clearly in pain because like these like... sparking tongs on mechanical arms are continually zapping him and he keeps spasming and he's being held in a very, what appears to be a very uncomfortable pose, even for Anthony Daniels. Who I guess we should point out is back reprising the role of C-3PO and R2-D2 is back reprising the role of himself. I almost consider Anthony Daniels to be like the Eric Idol of the Star Wars universe and that whenever there's some spin-off, he's always in there. He, he's always out front um, rolling in the cash. I don't know about that. I've heard the, the, the payment for the Star Wars stuff is less than you would think. but um, well, Yeah, but, but it's, it's steady work. I mean, he... Sure, right. Anthony right. Daniels is the only person, aside from George Lucas, who has successfully turned Star Wars into a full-time job. A career in and of itself. Yeah, in fact, uh, Anthony Daniels got a slap on the wrist when on Twitter... He revealed the name of a Clone Wars episode he recorded dialogue for. And then Lucasfilm, this is before Disney bought Lucasfilm, but um, Lucasfilm immediately like tried to like reprimand Anthony Daniels. And he's like, come on, it's just the title of an episode. <laughs> huh. Yeah, that does seem petty. And like, like the, ep- the titles of the episode never really give away <laughs> what the episode is about. No, you know, it might have the name of a planet, but it, it's not like the, the infamous example... Uh, off the soundtrack to Star Wars Episode One: The Phantom Menace, one of the tracks is called like the Death of Qui Gon or something. Oh yes. <laughs> so it, like something like it like that gets through, but the title of a random episode is doesn't it doesn't make a lot of sense. But yeah, so you get uh, so now they're trying to get R two D two. And we get actually a pretty fun chase sequence because R2-D2, mm-hmm. when R2-D2 leaves the spa and can't find C-3PO and sees the jar of Jogan fruit just lying in a, in a gutter, he realizes something is up um, and starts getting nervous when, when armed droids start sweeping the area. And so we get, we get sort of a neat kind of cat and mouse chase with R2 like knocking over a, fr- a fruit stall, again, covered in Jogan fruit. Huge Jogan fruit, by the way. They're Jogan fruit the size of regulation FIFA soccer balls, uh, as opposed to the golf ball size Jogan fruit that they need for the garnish. Um, but anyway, uh, it, it all culminates when uh, R2D2 is hiding behind some barrels in an alley, uh, and here's, uh, here's Cad Bane and the other droids talk about how they've captured C3PO. So R2D2 is loyal to his friends, often to a fault. So, so he decides he's going to let himself be captured. So R2 makes a lot of noise, so he gets cornered uh, and zapped. 
And this is something that really stood out to me. There's there's a there's another droid, a bug-headed droid, walking through the alley, who comes across the deactivated R two D two and starts going murderer, 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 yeah. and like running away like he's gonna get help. It's a very funny moment, and, and, that, uh, and that sort of raises an issue. What is the droid concept of death? A, a full memory wipe. I mean, as, so, as, as an appliance that can be turned on and turned off and reset to factory defaults, what does it mean when a droid sees a deactivated droid and accuses the one who deactivated it of murder? I guess if you if you cannot turn yourself back on and be fully functional, that's considered droid murder. Murder. It's 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 again it's it's one of it's one of those things where Star Wars never really addresses exactly how conscious and self aware droids are. But that's part of what makes it fun, isn't it? Well, to, well, to an extent. I mean, it's it's part of the, it's part of the world building. But the longer, like the longer those questions are sort of left to hang, the more sort of, I guess, the the more unsatisfying I find it. And and actually, let's actually this is something worth talking about. Um, and this comes from uh, this comes from uh, I wish I could remember who, but it was it was an interview with a writer who had contributed to several Star Wars comics and novels, and I think may have even may have even consulted or worked on uh, on the Clone Wars or one of the many Star Wars television series that was written but never produced uh, and and what he said was Lucas had like a handful of ironclad rules and one of the ironclad rules was you can't talk about droid revolutions and you can't talk about droid freedoms droids are always to be appliances and sidekicks and never anything else hmm and I've, and I've I, often wondered: Was it just that that was just like not part? Like, is, is it part of the world building? I mean, it's like it's like with uh, with Dune. Half the reason the Butlerian Jihad is part of the background of Dune is that Frank Herbert wanted to tell a far future story that wasn't cluttered by robots and supercomputers. So he came up with big cultural reasons why robots and supercomputers did not exist. Is this the same thing? Does George Lucas only want to deal with the causes of with, with human freedom? So as a result, we're never going to talk about whether droids can be self-aware citizens in their own right. You mentioned Dune for a moment. May I go on a slight tangent? Oh, absolutely. So um, Frank Herbert, who died in the, the 80s, I, I believe, was the author of the first six Dune books. Yep. And then uh, his son, Brian Herbert, um, his, you know, the Herbert estate... <laughs> Sometime in the 90s, they got a phone call from an attorney saying, oh, did you know that your, your father, Frank Herbert, um, creator of Dune and all this stuff, he, he had a, a, a safety deposit box in this bank in Seattle. And we were looking at it, and it had a, a diskette that said Dune 7 on it. Huh. You know about that, right? And they're like, what? No. And, and so they, they look at all his notes, and from that, that inspired them to... Um, not only for the estate to be more involved in the property and, and sell, uh, have Sci-Fi Channel do some miniseries, but that had, that's what kicked off that whole prequel trilogy of Dune novels. And now I think, you know, Brian Herbert and Kevin J. Anderson together have co-written uh, nearly 20 of the damn things, right? Didn't J. Michael Straczynski write a Dune novel or two? Or am I no, hallucinating no. that? You're, you're hallucinating. I mean, if he did, I'm sure he'd do a good job, but, um, yeah, no, Straczynski hasn't done those, but... Um, and, and now they're working on a, a Dune movie, I think, to come out in 2020. So they've announced some casting for it. I really hope that happens. And they're going to be splitting up that first book into two films. Which which may be the one time splitting up a book into two movies makes a kind of sense. Dune is... People compare it to Lord of the Rings, which... Uh, I, I, I don't know. It's, it's different. I, th I think it's more dense. I think it's a harder read than Lord of the Rings. It's a lot about philosophy, so how you do that to the translate that to the big screen uh, is a mystery. But yeah, I agree. You, you can give that story breathing room. Uh, you just make it about a final battle between good and evil, and you have Danny Elfman do the score. I mean, at the end of the day, yes, there's that. But <laughs> um, I, I think if you played up the aspect of the Fremen and Dune as terrorists and they're the good guys could be interesting but who knows what they'll do with this one so back to droids back to droids uh, yeah apologies um, and so, here's the Star Wars connection Frank Herbert sued George Lucas and 20th Century Fox 
for like 43 plot similarities between Dune and Star Wars. Really? Lost. Yep. I did not know that. Desert Planet, they talk about the spice mines. They, there's, um, yeah, it's, it's good reading if you can find that stuff. Back to Star Wars, back to the point. Um, yeah, so so R2-D2, uh, we do get, of course, we, we have a kind of a pointless cutaway to the the dinner party preparations uh, just to just to remind us in the audience what's going on. But then we cut back to uh, uh, C-3PO is brought to the undisclosed location. Uh, he, his brain is hacked, and Cad Bane is able to extract the full floor plans for the Senate complex. Right, he does a deeper dive, and then he does a, a mind wipes, so the droids don't remember what happened in their afternoon. Other yeah, than, he erases the memories yeah. of of the day's events, and then they then they dump them in the street uh, in front of the droid spa, where once again the Jogan fruit is just lying in the gutter. They pick it up and decide to head back. Although uh, Toto, uh, Seth Green's droid character, does have a does have a fun little line where when they dump when they dump R two D two and C three PO, he just waves at them and says, "Thanks for the memories." Now, do they pronounce Toto's name? Because I'm thinking his name. It, it, I'm thinking it's a reference to programming language, where a statement is to do. I it might be. Well, the thing is, the only character that says his name is Cad Bane, and ah, Cad Bane okay. not only talks with a pretty thick accent; it's mechanically processed because of he course. has this like respirator attachment. So, his name could be Toto, for all I know, and I just did not. It just—it sounds like Toto when he's when he says it, but right. I could be completely off. I guess we should look that up. Um, yeah, but go on. So I think at the very end of this episode, you're going to tease that kind of kicks off the bigger story arc. Well, yeah. So yeah, uh, yeah. Cad Bane goes to goes to Jabba the Hut and hands over the floor plans, and Jabba the Hut says, "Well, I might need to hire you one more time, but it sounds more like Iga Bucho Shude." Ho ho ho. Um, but before the mission, but the mission is so dangerous it needs the approval of the of the Hut families. So uh, Jabba gets into this uh, conversation with the head through by hologram with the heads of the other Hut families, and we get some fun character designs. There is a Marlon Brando type Hut. There is a uh, Peter Lorre type Hut. Like all the all the heads of the other Hut crime families seem to be modeled after uh, uh, creepy old dead actors, which I rather like. But this scene. This scene kind of drags on because most of the dialogue is in Huddies, and the only reason we know anything that's happening, uh, and they're given whole speeches, uh, is that the protocol droid, uh, Jabba's protocol droid, translates for Cad Bane. And the short of it is that it all has to do with Zero the Hut, who was an antagonist in the Clone Wars movie we talked about earlier. Um, Zero the Hut has been arrested by the Republic. Uh, and Jabba believes that due to certain sensitive information Zero is privy to, it would be better if he was in the quote-unquote protection of the great families. And whatever whatever's up with the Senate blueprints and whatever's up with the second mission Cad Bane's being hired for, it all connects to Zero the Hut in some way. But we don't learn what that is because that's stuff that's going to be resolved in future episodes. Uh and that's what holds this episode back. This episode is, for all intents and purposes, a low-stakes prologue to several other story arcs that are going to get much more focus and many more episodes later in the season. And then the actual yeah, thing yeah. with Jogan Fruit, you know, the uh, we get to meet Senator Ang, who is outright obsessed with this goddamn cake. To an unhealthy degree, like it makes it makes me feel like he's just an asshole who makes ridiculous demands of people to, to get on their good side, and is just constantly inviting himself to senatorial dinners. But R two D two and C three PO show up at the last minute. The four Jogan fruit that they secured are just not even clean. They've been in an al- a gutter all day. They're just put on top of the cake. Uh, <laughs> Senator Ang is really is really happy, and Amadala, you know, says to C three PO, "Oh, well, you did a good job," and. C-3P is just so happy the episode ends on him saying, I did a good job! I did a good job! I did a good job! In in a way that almost makes it seem like he's malfunctioning, but and this is another thing that's unsatisfying is that Anakin flat out asks C-3PO where they've been all day, and C-3PO says, I have no recollection of the day's events, which should be a pretty big red flag. The number of assassination attempts they've had to deal with and backstabbing they should immediately be like, oh, we better do a diagnostic on C-3PO, see if his memory's been tampered with. But that 
kind of goes away. It is worth mentioning that this character, uh, Toto, um, was in the season two premiere, Holocron Heist. Oh. And he also is in this later episode, Hunt for Zero, which I think is after this one. But uh, what I found surprising is the garnish, the uh, the fruit they get, the Jogan fruit, is a garnish on the cake. And it, I think, wait a second, so is this cake called Jogan fruit cake because it just has a garnish on top, or was there already like pureed uh, or or diced Jogan fruit in the cake um, batter in the body of the cake itself? I think there's Jogan fruit in the cake because there's some fruit slices on it that have huh? the same texture as the Jogan fruit. So I, I guess like when they were making it, I guess you're supposed to hold some of the fruit aside as a garnish, but they just put it all in the cake. But does the garnish really... I mean, I, I get that optics are important, but they could have gone without this Jogan fruit, which I think makes this whole episode superfluous. Well, again, it is, it is so low stakes, because that's the other thing, is we never learn what's important about getting Senator Aang on Amidala's side. So, like, aside from like, the fruit, nothing is at stake in this episode. And I, re- yeah. and I realize yeah. maybe Senator Ang shows up later in one of these story arcs, and, and this the 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 product of this whole this whole senatorial dinner maybe it does have a bigger impact later on. Unfortunately, this episode does nothing to establish what those stakes might be. It doesn't even hint at it. Hmm. I mean, so for for my money, this episode uh, is is okay. It's not great, but like I really like the. The best sequence is R2-D2 getting cleaned at the at the spa. I think that's, like, oh, wonderful. I think you could have done a whole episode at the robot spa for my money. Like, I think, like, that stuff's mm-hmm. really cool. And it, also the darker elements of C-3PO being tortured, I think it, it nicely lays out uh, some of the issues with this Star Wars Clone Wars series in that it's a bit herky-jerky between tones. Hmm. It can be very dark. You get characters getting assassinated, and uh, I think in one of the the first episodes of the series in season one, droids take over a rebellion ship and just let loose corpses of um, rebel pilots, and then start laughing about the corpses and making jokes about it. So it can be like super dark, but it allows to be cartoony, and it kind of jumps all over the place. And um, I. What I like about this series, though, is George Lucas had a heavy hand in it. And for those that complain that the newer trilogy of Star Wars films is not George Lucas-centric or he didn't get enough George Lucas stuff, there's this whole series that he was really involved with. <laughs> true, so very if, true. If you, if you really get off on, on the, the George Lucas canon and you hate this show, maybe take another look at it. Yeah, I think I think because that's like I, I like all the elements in this episode. There's even there's a, a number of episodes of the Clone Wars I absolutely love, and I think are some of the best of what Star Wars can do. But because this episode is so dependent, because this episode is a prologue and it sets up so much that we don't get to see resolved till much later, as a standalone episode, I feel like it's it's very weak. Like if if I was to watch this and the next two episodes back to back. I think it would it would be it would be the it would be a fun first act of a movie, but, but as an episode on its own, it is incomplete. Although I w- I do want to say uh, heap some praise, uh, I guess on this episode and on the series. So I mentioned I've now seen this episode four times. This was the first time I ever saw this episode in HD. Was when I watched oh. it uh, earlier in preparation for this recording, um, and s- something that. Uh, I was kind of skeptical with of the Clone Wars is that the figures, they all kind of look like toys carved out of wood. There's there's a very blocky yeah. texture they have. There's there's even like the textures on the characters. I think they're going for something that looks painterly, but sometimes it can look sloppy. Like everything looks like a battered toy or mm-hmm. or, or a like a battered uh, Gary Anderson Super Mariamation figure. But seeing it in HD. There's a lot of subtleties to the character designs and their textures that I was not aware of until this particular viewing. In particular, C-3PO, who just kind of looks like a a shiny plastic toy, in HD was the first time I realized there's real texture to his metal chassis. He has divots that cause the light to reflect off his chassis in a very 
natural way, which which I was which I had never noticed before, and and it caused me to reevaluate the way a lot of the characters look. I, I now appreciate the aesthetic of this show much more now than I did before. Also, speaking of that painterly look, take it's worth noting what the skies look like. The skies are often quite painterly. Um, you can almost see like brush strokes and so forth. And uh, I, I love how this Clone Wars series shows um, how how the spaceships look and how the robots look. I'm still not thrilled with how the people look, but they get better with, uh, as you mentioned, the finer details as the series goes on. Well, they, they get and, more expressive and more characterful uh, right. as they go. As they go, and also, and, and admittedly, this she doesn't show up in this episode, but uh, Anakin's apprentice, Ahsoka Tano. Uh, we see her grow up. I mean, the the, the her character yeah, design yeah. and her last appearance is very different from the character design used in the Clone Wars movie. So it's it, I like that commitment to establishing the passage of time through character design. And they even bring her back in um, some of the episodes of Star Wars Rebels. Oh yeah, I heard that she makes I, I a think return the series appearance. finale or something. She's in there, so very cool stuff. Um, all right. So, oh, and I did check it. Check yeah. it out. Uh, Seth Green's character is Todo three sixty, so T O D O three sixty. Yep. All right. So um, we've got a segment to do, don't we? We do. And that segment is Droid Eye for the Jedi, where we uh, each pick a character that we saw in this episode and try to establish who is the secret Jedi Master. So yeah. Is there somebody you'd like to nominate? There is. Watching this episode again, I would nominate one of the droids in the uh, massage parlor. I think they could sense R2-D2 was part of some very important things, and so they, uh, using their Jedi powers to, to sense this, they put extra additives in his oil bath to loosen up his joints to help him better hide from Cad Bane and his men even knowing that he would want to be captured. That's right. Yep. They 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 gave him just the right amount that he would need. And can you give me any other examples of force powers that they may have used? I don't say force powers. Uh, R2-D2 is a bit impulsive and his, his mind is always racing, so I bet they used force powers to relax his mind so he could enjoy the moment of getting the oil bath. Hmm. Interesting. What about you? Now, my own theory... So, when we first recorded this episode, uh, I put forward the theory that Cad Bane was the secret Jedi Master for, for, for a number of reasons, having to do with his specialized breathing apparatus, his his sort of being driven by, by fear and hate and things like that. But looking back over it, I think, uh, I think I fell for a clever misdirection. Cad Bane is not the secret Jedi Master. You know who is? Senator Aang. I mean, Ooh, okay. Th- think about this. He's a master manipulator. He's oh. white and wrinkly. I mean, he's he's practically Emperor Palpatine, but with no nose and bigger eyes. And I will go so far as to say the no nose may be an indicator that he is somehow connected to another Sith Lord, uh, Lord Voldemort. There's something something very Voldemort-esque sure. about him. Uh, he's clearly, you know, he's he's clearly driven by very base emotional needs. So his insistence, his petty insistence that his Jogan fruit cake be excellent. Also, a cultural artwork which is used as a centerpiece, this ice sculpture. It's clearly a dark. It's clearly a Sith demon. I mean, it's probably modeled after a three eyed uh, three eyed Sith lord. So he's tricking people into building idols to. Maybe even his master. Maybe that three-eyed monster is, in fact, the uh, Sith master who trained who trained Ang. Well, that's quite sinister indeed. Yeah, so I'm going to put forth that Senator Ang is, in fact, a secret Sith master. Very good. Ah, but there's another segment, isn't there? There is. And that would be expanded universe, where we talk about a non-movie piece of Star Wars media that we've been enjoying. Or at least experiencing. <laughs> yeah, uh, I sat down and fired up the Star Wars game based on the Episode Four New Hope movie for the Nintendo Entertainment System. The original Nintendo or Super Nintendo? Original Nintendo. Oh wow! How is that? Not good. Um, it's you know it 
so there back in the day there were a lot of movies or video games based off of movies and this one it's ambitious but hard and has sloppy controls i'm talking about this is the video game that came out in the united states i'm not talking about the japanese uh, developed um, Star Wars video game. So uh, the first half of this game, you're on Tatooine, you're Luke Skywalker, and it's kind of a hub world. You are on the speeder going from cave to cave to get, um, if you get enough of these certain power-ups, it adds to the shields you get in the X-Wing later in the, the space segment. But huh. you're trying to rescue R2-D2 from the uh, Jawa Sandcrawler, and the the plat so most of the the game is the platforming and it's quite finicky. You have to um, sort of like Prince of Persia. If you make a jump, just a standing jump, you don't get much momentum. So you have to do a running jump. But then your character skids a bit when you land on these tiny platforms. So it requires pitch perfect Ooh. controls. Um, also, uh, as was also common in games at the time. You're, you're thrown on Tatooine, you have no idea what to do or where to go or how much things you need to advance to the next section of the game. And it is incredibly hard and less linear than I would expect. I think later in the game I was not able to beat some of the early stages. I'm somewhat incompetent, but I did watch some videos to check out later in the game. You do get like a, a fight sim sequence, you do go in the Death Star and so forth. But, um... That so much is on Tatooine and that's balls hard from the beginning. Oh, uh, wow. I, I cannot, in good faith, recommend it. And the Empire Strikes Back game for Nintendo is even worse, but we'll get to that um, next week, probably. <laughs> Nintendo hard. N yeah, Nintendo hard, right? <laughs> so I also looked into a video game, uh, specifically oh. a segment of a video game. Yes, yes. Uh, the infamous Kinect Star Wars. Specifically, I went through and did a hard listen to all the Star Wars song parodies that are on the dance oh, segment no. of Connect yeah. Star Wars. So, so yeah, so this came out uh, in the uh, early 2010s, and this was when... Uh, this this was when dance games were really really popular, uh, and so Connect Star Wars had these dancing mini games. Where yeah, where you would have to get up in front of the Connect and use its body tracking to dance, and it had a lot of pop songs, both old and new. But a set of pop songs were rewritten and re-recorded <coughs> to be about Star Wars. I think my favorite is they take Christina Aguilera's "Genie in a Bottle" and make it Jedi in a battle. Yeah, I'll, I'll, yes, yes, uh, and I want to go. I want to go through the ones that they that they redo. So they take Larue's song "Bulletproof," they do "Blaster Proof," which of all of them. Probably is overall the best. Like, you could Ooh. put this on a radio station and it might take a moment for people to realize it's about Star Wars, but also the Star Wars references they work into the song don't seem jokey or winky. Like, it almost feels like a pop song that could exist in the Star Wars universe. Um, but then there's a more egregious one. The Village People's YMCA becomes Empire Today. And mm. it's a recruitment song for the Empire. Um, which, uh, like... I guess that ver that's a balls-out crazy way to do that song, so I, I got to applaud them for committing uh, on that level. Uh, then, let me see, we have Hologram Girl, which is based on Gwen Stefani's Holoback Girl, which was a huge hit at the time. Mm. Um, this is the most forced one. This is the one that they work the hardest to try to tie the song into Star Wars, so I, I will give them an A for effort, but the end result is a really awkward song. Though I guess I do have to get, give them credit for replacing uh, a, an English swear words with hot swear words. Specifically, specifically, the they they use uh, "chiska slimo," which is the hut phrase for "dirty liar," which is apparently a big insult in the hut culture. <laughs> which is weird for a species that is portrayed as so duplicitous. Why being called a liar would be such an insult, or maybe it's just giving the name to it. But so, so I will applaud this song for teaching me how to say "filthy liar" and "hutties." Um, then you have uh, you have Jason Derulo's "Riding Solo" becomes "I'm Han Solo," and "Riding Solo" was a contemporary hit at the time. Oh yeah, 
And that one, that one's kind of fun to the point where I'm kind of shocked. Like, I feel like if Lord and Miller had remained the directors of the Han Solo movie, I feel like they would have snuck that song into the movie somewhere, maybe over the credits. It's funny, you know, after that Han Solo Star Wars um, spinoff movie um, had a few trailers out there, someone recut some of the trailers to that solo track from Star Wars Connect. I think I've and, seen that. Yeah, it's quite good. Um, <laughs> then you've got... Uh, from, based on Jamiroquai's Canned Heat, Kashyyyk, which is pretty forgettable as far as these song yeah. parodies go, although I'm happy Jamiroquai was cut a check. They're a great band that doesn't get played enough <laughs> anymore. So they didn't try to do things like the real Sith Shady? They should have, and we should write that. <laughs> Maybe we should do that. Oh, I'm, the real, I'm the real master, yes, the real Sith master. Uh, all you other Sith masters should put away your blasters. Okay, that writes itself. We're going to write yeah. it. We're going to write it, and we're okay. going to put that in a future episode. Sounds good. Um, but we're not done. Mm. Uh, so we, we already talked about Jedi in a battle. So there is one left. So Yolanda B. Cool and D-Cup have this great song called We No Speak Americano, which you probably heard. Um, it, I think it was used in a coffee commercial uh, recently. But... But the whole song, the whole song is done in Spanish, and it's about not being able to speak American English uh, or not speaking American English. Uh, and so the way they do it is, it's we no speak Huttese, and it's the whole song re-recorded in Huttese and sung by Yaz Yuzum from the Jedi Rocks dance number from the special edition re-release of Star Wars Episode Six: The Return of the Jedi. Wow. The level of commitment it took to record that song, I feel like, makes this whole experiment worth it. Yeah, it should be noted the vocalists are uh, sound-alikes, but they're pretty good as far as those go. The, the guy they got to do the Yaz Yuzum part sounds just like Yaz Yuzum. Mm-hmm. So once again, I would like to point out, I don't know my parents' birthdays, but I know the name of the, of the <laughs> vocalist from Jedi Rocks. Ugh. So, yeah, this, um, I almost ended up getting a copy of this game, but I didn't because I didn't see a compelling reason to get a Kinect, and, and for listeners that might not know, the Kinect was an accessory for the Xbox 360, and later they made a version for Xbox One that was quickly discontinued for reasons that are too complicated to get into. Um, so at the time, Nintendo had the Wii, and this was popular, and you had controls that looked like a remote control for your TV, and you waved it around to the sensor, and it could somewhat replicate your movements. The, uh, the Kinect on Xbox 360 um, uh, looked a little bit like a sound bar, and it would do a 3D scan of the room, and w- controller-free could tell what you were doing. Um, did you actually ever uh, get to use a Kinect in real life? Uh, or? Yes, yes, I have, uh, yeah. I have used a Kinect. Yeah, I, I would say to use it effectively, especially for things that try to superimpose your picture on other images, you need like studio levels of light. Yeah, you need to get the most out of that peripheral. You need very specific conditions, which are really hard to set up and maintain, and aren't necessarily the kind of conditions you want for a room that you're going to be watching movies and playing video games in. Right. Um, but this Star Wars Connect game, uh, those that they put all that effort into a dancing mode is pretty astonishing. Um, Allegedly, George Lucas would play this mode with his kids, and I would I don't to see, see video- why not. I would pay to see video of that. It would be uh, ironically, <laughs> it would he it would become a viral hit, just like the Star Wars kid. But I don't know, like I, I, I yeah, I got to applaud them for for the amount of effort that they put into that mini game, and I kind of. I, I kind of wish there was an album of those songs. Like, just do an album of Star yeah, Wars yeah, pop sure. music. It could have those. It could have the both English and full Huttese version of Lopty Neck. Uh, things like that. Right. Um, and I think the main mode of that game was kind of a story mode set in the prequel trilogy where you're a Jedi apprentice. Huh. And you could lift your hands and it would levitate things and do lightsaber fights and so forth with the connect. Well, that's pretty cool. They even had a t- they had a tie in Xbox 360 that had the colors of R2D2. Oh yeah! Oh up, no, I've seen that. Yeah, yeah. the Xbox unit itself is mm-hmm. themed to look like R2D2, but then the controller is themed to look like C3PO. And when you boot it up, it makes R2 sounds. Oh, that's cute. Yep. Um, cool. Well, what are we talking about next week? 
on next week, uh, we will be talking. That's the one note that did not survive. We're gonna be we're gonna be returning to uh, Star Wars droids. We're gonna be talking about the episode "The Lost Prince." Yep, kicking off the second out of I guess four story arcs you could say in the Star Wars droid series. Yep. So stay tuned to for that one. You know, it's it's the same same droids but different masters and whole new adventures. More of a western tone, I would say. Yeah, there's a, there's a lot of that. We'll see whether they get the black hat and the white hat back. I'm going to keep talking about that that droid western cowboy show that C3, that R2D2 likes. Yeah, I'm hoping it makes uh, further appearances, kind of like the bounty hunter show in the Cowboy Bebop series. <laughs> Come on, cowboys! Yeah, ride them, space cowboy. Um... So I guess with that, uh, all that's left to say is that uh, you can follow me on Twitter at Internet Mayor. Follow me on Twitter at M-A-T-W-B-T. So, uh, concluding in trouble again. Oh, we should, as always, mention that our theme song is performed by the Cybertronic Spree. Uh, definitely check their music out. They are, by the way, they are now internet famous uh, for uh, doing an ACDC cover. That's been showing up on all the geek news sites over the past week, as of this recording, if you're trying to assemble a timeline to figure out what our chronology is. Right. And, uh... Yeah, I think that's good for them. You know, they're still in costume as, as their robot characters, as the Transformers uh, characters, doing ACDC and stuff. Um, I don't know if they've ever been in Portland, Oregon, but I'll have to take a look at their touring schedule and see. Uh, they've certainly performed at different conventions, I know that much. I'd love to see them live. And yeah. thank them in person for letting us use their uh, their cover of the Droids theme song as our show's theme song. That is true. So, next week, who? Next week, as you said, we'll be kicking off the episode, the uh, Lost Prince, uh, kicking off another story arc with Star Wars droids proper. So, uh, I'm your host, uh, William Thrasher. I'm Matt Bradley Sharkey. And uh, this has been In Trouble Again, uh, saying... Oh my, I think I can fit that whole choking fruit in my mouth. Then I'm afraid you're going to have to give me an advance on my usual rate. R2? R2? R2D2? Certainly you can help get rid of this nasty man. (laughs) No, not my circuits. (laughs) Not without my circuits. The R2D2 and C3PO story. Coming this fall to NBC. (laughs) 